Well, good morning. Welcome to the 1030 service. Everybody made it. We're grateful to see you. Glad you're all together uh, in one. Now we can see each other, and so we're thankful that you're here today. How powerful is the story and the testimony of a child? Well, let me tell you a story that changed my life as a pastor. I had a knock at my door in a former ministry that I was in. A man came to my office and he said, I'd like to talk to you for a moment. I said, sure, be glad to. He said, something happened last week that got my attention. He said, and I just wanted to ask you about it. He said, we were sitting around the table and my little four or five-year-old son looked and said, Mommy and Daddy, we don't ever pray before we eat. We just eat. He said, how about we pray today? And the dad said, that kind of shocked me because I don't pray before I eat and really didn't know what to say. And so I told the little boy, I said, okay, we'll, we'll try. And he said, I put my head down and tried to think of something to say and didn't know what to say. He said, it was kind of embarrassing as a dad. Never prayed in front of my son. He said, so finally my little son said, God is great. God is good, and we thank Him for our food. Amen. And the dad looked up at me and he said, I don't want to live my life like that. And I started talking to the man, and before you know it, before he left my office, he trusted Christ as his personal Savior. All off of the words of a small child. This is our God, by the way, and this is how He works in our life. And this morning, I want to direct your attention to a passage of Scripture where God used a little girl to save a mighty man. And just let me remind you this morning that the testimony of ministry to children is critical. Critical. And it's important that every church and every family and every person invest in kids. 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning, if you know the book of Kings, it was originally one book, one scroll, First and Second Kings, and the entire reason that these two books are written is to explain to the nation of Israel why they were taken captive. And the bottom line was they had forgotten that there was a God in Israel, kind of like of America, you know. We've forgotten there's a God in America. You hear everything except the God of the Bible and His sovereignty and His rule in America. We do everything we can to get rid of it. Kind of like the nation of Israel in that day. And so what you're going to see unfold in this story is that everyone from the high king all the way down through the nobles disregarded God and knew nothing about Him except for a little girl in a pagan land. Now I'm going to draw your attention to the text this morning. Now Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, by the way, if you've never studied outside history and God's sovereignty and his providence, what you'll see in the theological study is that God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the nations. And all of these wars and skirmishes and all these things that happened, everybody thinks that it was this king and that king and the kings of history. Listen to me, God Almighty is the one who moves the chess pieces. 
He moves them in Iraq. He moves them in Afghanistan, in Sudan, and every place else. God Almighty is the one who directs it. And the text says that this great nobleman, this man of valor, this military man, was given victory by God's hand himself. Now, Naaman was a pagan. He was a pagan. Do you understand this? A mean, ruthless, vicious man. And God was using that man to win. By the way, Vance Havner once said that don't get frustrated over that, you know, because God can draw a straight line with many a crooked stick. God can use whatever and whoever he wants to use, and he chose to use Naaman, even though Naaman didn't even know who he was. So here, right to the north of the nation of Israel, connected together, was this man who was a man of valor from the army of Syria, second in command. Notice this, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, do you all know what leprosy is? The word leprosy here can mean all kinds of different skin diseases and so forth, but the real severe cases of leprosy start out small, and they start to grow and grow, and they eat, and they deteriorate flesh and bone, and ultimately you die from it. And there's no cure for leprosy. By the way, up until this time, there was not even mention of a cure. People were isolated, uh, kind of like corona, left to themselves, more than six feet apart, put in a camp, and they were left there to rot away and to die. And so here's this mighty man of valor, and he was a leper. By the way, what a story into the human nature. People dress in their three-piece suits. They dress in their mighty military outfits. But down under, in the, underneath, they're all lepers. Did you know that? They're all dying. Don't you ever forget that. No matter how big and powerful today, every man is cursed with the sin nature and ultimately death. And here's Naaman, this mighty man of valor, who was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Don't read over that. They, they went down to the land of Israel, and as they conquered, they killed, and then they brought back this young little girl as a war slave. Yes, it's terrible. Terrible. They brought her back. This is how they won, and this is what they did in the spoil of war. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was in his household. Then she said to her mistress, apparently she had been listening as Naaman walked into his wife and said, Oh, I'm dying. Can you believe this? I've been promoted to the greatest place in the Syrian army, but I've got this leprosy that's starting to eat my flesh away and I'm going to die. What am I going to do? She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Can't you hear this little girl? Little, little girl. He's telling everything he knows about how he's hopeless and helpless and there's no hope. And she says, Oh, if you just knew the prophet that I know who talked about the God of Israel... He would heal you. 
Now, by the way, as I said before, up until this time, there had never been a recorded instance in Scripture of anyone being cured of leprosy. Where did this girl's faith come from? She was a little girl with a great big faith and a great big God, and she knew God could do it. Now, by the way, as adults, we look at kids like that, and we fold our arms, and we say, oh, they just have this overwhelming belief. It's exaggerated. They don't know yet. They're not adults. When they grow up, they'll see that God just doesn't work that way, and, you know, but we'll let them just have their... No, not this little girl. She knew she served a God who leprosy was no problem for. If only he were with the prophet in Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman, by the way, was told this and went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel, unnamed, unknown little girl, by the way, if you ever read an Old Testament, Old Testament narrative, we read over stuff like this all the time. Are you, are you ready for this? She is the main actor in the story. Because without the little girl, you would know nothing about Naaman, and you would know nothing about the curing of his leprosy. The little girl. She attended VBS at Trinity, by the way. Did you know that? Then the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. This was going to be his gift. It was quite a healthy gift. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Well, obviously, the king in Israel was a pagan rat. And so when he read this letter, the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. He's just trying to start a fight. This is what happens when a nation loses its viewpoint of God. And here this king says, there's there's no God in this land. Nobody can do anything. Now, I want you to notice these parallels because you'll miss this. This is not a simple Sunday school story. Here's a little girl that has more faith in God than a military general, a pagan king, and a pagan king in Israel. She believes in the God of the Bible. And the king of Israel says, He's wanting to start a fight with me. Now notice what happened. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You don't know that, but he'll know it. Then Naaman went with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, can't you see this picture? Elisha lives in a little old bitty hut. Here's this mighty Syrian king with all the military marines coming from Syria, surrounding and guarding him, and he pulls up to this hut. Watch what happens. And Elisha sent the doorkeeper out to meet him and said, 
Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, get the picture here. The vice president comes to the headquarters of a house, and instead of the prophet going out to meet them with this grand red carpet, he sends the butler out and says, uh, Elisha says, go over there and dip in the creek seven times and you'll be healed. Now, can you imagine talking to a mighty man of valor like this, this great Naaman? What does Naaman do? Naaman became furious. He was hot. And he went away, stomping backward and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He, he was expecting a Benny Hinn type miracle to come out here. That didn't happen. Or, listen to what Naaman says. Are not the new river and uh, what's the one up here in Florida? Little river. Are not, are not the new river and the little river better? These were the, his two hometown rivers. Abana and Farfa are the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now notice the parallel between this man and the little girl. He's a man of anger, a man of rage. She's a little girl, quiet. She speaks one word. He's now yelling. All kinds of irony going on here. And his servants came near him and spoke and said, My father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan. Y'all got this picture? Can't you just see this? There's this mighty general. He's having to humble himself. And by the way, if I was preaching a message on Naaman, I would talk to you about humility. I mean, sometimes God makes a man bow. And if you don't think God can make a proud man bow, you haven't looked in life too much. But before you come to God, let me assure you of one thing. You're going to have to bow. And Naaman went out in this river, looking over his shoulder, I'm sure, at all of his soldiers, watching him having to listen to the words of the man of God who didn't even come out and say a thing to him, sent a messenger, and he's out there by himself. One. Two. Can't y'all see it? And he's starting to look. I mean, you got this is the picture. And I'm sure as he's going down, he's thinking, this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. Absolutely absurd. But, you know, when you're desperate, by the way, when you're desperate... You will do things that you never thought you would do. And when people get desperate, they take desperate measures. And God made sure this man was desperate. So he dips down, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. A miracle. Form, performed before. And he was clean and had flesh like that of a child. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God 
in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. This was Elisha. I don't want your money, your bags of silver, your clothes, or anything else. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. I'm, I'm going to preach a sermon on that sometime. Two mule loads of dirt. You see, back in the ancient East, they believed that the lands of the deity was where the God ruled. And what did Naaman want to do? He wanted to load up two bags of Israel's dirt so he could haul it back to his home and pour it on the ground so where he worshipped, he would worship the God of Israel. And that's why he wanted two mule loads of dirt. I'll just give it away to you, okay? Can you imagine somebody saying, give me two shovel wheelbarrow loads of dirt to take home with me? And so obviously they did that. Please let your servant give two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. Now listen to what he's saying. When my master, that is the king, goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in that temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Y'all got the picture here? This man is now saved. He's born again. And he automatically knows that there's no God in Syria where his king goes and worships. That's a false god. So he wants to carry the dirt back, dump it out in the temple, let his king lay on his arm and go through his ritual, and Naaman's going to bow down in there while his king is worshiping a false god, and he's going to pray and worship the Lord God. By the way, this is a wonderful reminder. I like to teach this in theology. You just never know where God has people, do you? I, I was listening to a man who was in a major religion around the world. And he said, you know, my family is brought up in that. I trusted Christ as my Savior. They used to take me in this place where everybody had to bow. And they were going through their things. And he said, you know what I started doing? I was bowing, but while they were praying to the other God... I was praying to the Lord God. I was praying to the Lord God. And I thought, wonder how many cases that is. God has His remnant. Now notice what the Lord please pardon your servant. Then He said to him, what did, what did He say? No, you tell him to... What? No, He said, when you go back to your pagan country, go in peace. So He departed from him a short distance. If you go on to read the rest of the story, you'll see that uh, another Benny Hinn trained... Well, I'm hard on Benny today, aren't I? I'll leave him alone. Another prosperity gospel uh, man was, uh, followed him up and asked him for some money, and then the leprosy was transferred from Naaman over to this Gehazi gentleman. But we'll preach on him sometime later. Nevertheless, the point here this morning is this little girl... Did you know I was reading some research this week and there's such a powerful impact on the lives of children? Look at this chart. At what age did you accept Christ? If you examine this chart, what you'll discover is the largest majority of children who trusted Christ as Savior is between ages 7 and 11 
by all means, and then early 12s, 13s, and 14s up. Of all the people who have trusted Christ as Savior, they do it as children. Listen to what the International Bible Society indicated. They said that 83% of all Christians made their first commitment to Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. That is, when they are children or early youth. Surveys done by Barna Research Group indicate that American children ages 5 to 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ, but youth or teens aged 14 to 18 only have 14%. Meaning that if you don't get your children while they're young, more than likely, they're going to reject. Now, hold on a minute, because we do believe in good theology here. If God wants to save a 98-year-old hardened drunk out of the gutter... God's Spirit can open his heart and he'll get saved. Okay, but let's just stop there. Don't say God can't. God does. But the point is, when you take the people who have trusted Christ as their Savior and you average it out, a majority of those people came to faith in Christ as a child. Now, if you hear an atheist, an agnostic, somebody that's hard toward the gospel, they will say, well, the reason they did that is because somebody talked them into it. They didn't know what they were doing. They were getting an you know, easy profession or so forth. Baloney. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, do not stop the children from coming to me. Let them come. Why did he do that? Because he knew that unless someone had the faith... Like a child. Did you all hear that? Unless they have faith like a child, they'll never enter the kingdom. A child has trusting faith. That's why it's such a horrid, heinous, terrible thing for someone to sin against a trusting child. Nothing angers you any more than to see somebody hurt a child because they have trust. They believe. And so Jesus is saying here, get their heart while it's young and while it's tender. And take full advantage of it. Parents, listen to me. Listen to your pastor for a minute. When you hear your child starting to ask you questions about spiritual things, don't you knock it off like it's some little stage they're going through. That is the Spirit of God working and moving in their heart and life to bring them to Him. That is grace, by the way. And so what do you do as a parent? You start talking to your child about the grace of God and the gift of salvation and eternal life through Jesus, and they have to believe and trust Him as their Savior for eternal life. Share that message with them. And when they trust Christ as their Savior, you will get to spend eternity with them. Do not let those opportunities go by. Do it over and over again. Talk about the Lord. Talk about Jesus day and night and His sacrifice on the cross, and His gift of eternal life. Share it with them over and over. You'll never be sorry. But the point here is, is that this has become such an important age. From age 4 to 14, there's now a new terminology called the 414 window. If If you know missions, global missions, there's the 1040 window. 10 degrees north of the equator, 40 degrees below the equator. If you take that strip across the globe, that's the most unreached population in the world. Well, child evangelists have now said, you know what? There should be a 414 window. 
That is, children who are age 4 to 14, parents and churches should target them and intentionally invest in their life. By the way, hear me for a minute here at Trinity. We have, a, we have an incredible children's program. Beth Sawyer is, she's back here, knocking it out of the park. Doing an incredible job. You should encourage her. You should support her. You should help her. You should pray for her. What a great job she's doing. Let me just tell you something. That the day when the judgment seat of Christ comes about, you're going to see people who work with the children. You're going to see them rewarded. Pouring into their life. Listen to what one man wrote. He said, One of the biggest mistakes I've seen among those who have a heart for the lost is they don't see the children in their own church as lost. Listen closely. Every child, even the cute ones in our Sunday schools, need the gospel. Our goal is not just to get the children into church, but into Christ. So if the church is to be missional, Let's be missional with those closest to us, the ones already within the church walls. You know, we have plans here at Trinity. Not only do we have a children's ministry, we have plans for an upcoming middle school ministry. We have people who have already agreed to step up and lead that. We also have people who have expressed interest in a full-time youth ministry. But you know, here in leadership, we've had to wait till God brought someone in. And God has brought them in. He's stirring people in our congregation to do something for the Lord. And we just back. It's all God. It's all God. And we're thankful. So be on the lookout and have your ears open because we're going to have some exciting announcements coming up in the very near future. By the way, just let me put this post in here. Here's a post. We had a wanna here years ago, and we had several kids who came from other churches. And, you know, we had to stop a wanna for different reasons. But I have said this and have always said it. I will be the biggest fan of a wanna, but it takes people to work it. And if you want to start a wanna back at Trinity, we'll start it. If you want to start a kid's ministry, we'll start it. But we've got to have laborers who are committed and consistent and not just one week here and one week there. You have to commit to it. And you have to move heaven and earth to be here and make it happen. If you want to do that, the leadership of this church has your back. We have the budget. We have the facility. We have everything it takes. Except for the people who are willing to make it happen. So we can have as big and as great of a children's ministry as you want to have. You let us know. We're waiting. This story about Elisha in Luke chapter 4 when he said, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Did you know that Elijah is mentioned 29 times in the New Testament, but Elisha only once? And that's by this story in Jesus. By the way, he was preaching here in Luke chapter 4. You know what happened to him when he told him about the story of Naaman? the pagan who trusted the God of Israel. You know what they did to Jesus? They ran him out. Because he was contrasting the faith of a Syrian military leader with the religious leaders in Israel. And he said, that pagan man had more faith in God than you do. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, let me say this, by the way. We're talking about the impact of children and the age of children. And I would be neglect if I didn't say this. If you do not think that the sexual revolution in our world today, and don't make me get off on that, you know what movement I'm talking about. If you do not think that they don't realize the the power of reaching children from ages 4 to 14, turn on your TV and watch the commercials and the cartoons. Horrible! Can I say that loud? Some of the stuff they have taken away my good cartoons from back in my days and replaced them with the weirdest things you've ever seen in your life. If they mess with Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny, I'm going to get mad. Okay? Leave them alone. Coming out with these cartoons and so forth to try to persuade these children that they don't know what they are. They don't know whether they're this or they're a boy or a girl or a non-binary or a cisgender or just keep on confusing them. They got the message that children are powerfully influenced at that age. Adolf Hitler said what? Give me your child until he's five years old and you can have him the rest of his life. Now maybe that's not as accurate as it could be, but most people say that by age nine, a child's character and habits and patterns in life are already seated and rooted. By age nine, that's who they are going to be. How important is it to reach our children. So what are four lessons that we can learn from the life of a child? Four lessons, quickly. Number one, here's the first lesson, that God can use a child regardless of their circumstances in life. He can use a child regardless of their circumstances in life. Here is a little girl. Can you all even fathom this? Very small child. A soldiers come in and raid, probably kill, destroy, maim, and everything, and they sweep this girl up and drag her all the way up through the desert. I'm sure if anybody watched her go up through there, they thought that poor girl, she'll never be used, never grow up, she'll never get to see this and never get to live that poor, poor, poor thing. And Almighty God used her to lead the number two man in a country to saving faith in the Lord God. In her brokenness, in all of her pain and problems, she didn't fail to speak for God. Which leads us to number two. Children teach us so much about forgiveness, loving our enemies, and having great faith in God. When you see a child forgive, when you see a child love When you see a child express great faith in God, it ought to humble every adult that sees that. You know, I can remember somebody being mean to a child. It was another kid, by the way. Mean as a snake to him. You know, as an adult, we see that and we're like, well, go get a handful of dirt and throw it right in his face. Right in the eyes. Get get him good. But, of course, you don't tell your child that unless they're having a scrap for their life. But this little child was hurt by the other one. And the other one was intentionally mean. And the little old fellow walked over and said, he was crying. He said, it's okay. I forgive him. I thought, Whew. let me tell you, that'd be hard to do, especially if somebody did that to you on purpose. I, I forgive him. 
You know, no wonder Jesus mouths of babes and infants. God has ordained wisdom. They teach us powerful things about forgiveness, loving enemies, and great faith in God. You know, Naaman could have been an enemy to this little girl. She could have said, you stole me from my mommy and my daddy. I know there's a God in Israel, but I'm not going to tell you anything about Him. You can die and go to hell without Him. But did she do that? Absolutely not. She shared her faith in the God that she knew and the prophet who knew God and said, go to that man. He will heal you. Number three, never underestimate the power of a simple word about God. I told you the story of the little boy who wanted to bow his head and pray. Listen to what this little girl said. If only he were in Israel and knew the prophet. Do you realize that that little phrase got into the ears of his wife, into the ears of Naaman, into the ears of the king of Syria, all the way back? And this is what converted this man This man who was a slave to leprosy and sin became free. And this girl who was a slave in the home was actually in the home as a slave but was free because she knew the Lord God. What a paradox here. What a a turn. So the little girl who's the captive leads the big Assyrian general to saving faith in God so that he too can experience freedom. The words of a little girl wind up in the ears of a great king. Never underestimate the power of a simple testimony or word about God. Folks, I am telling you, you will never understand how important it is to speak for the Lord. Do not be ashamed of Him. Speak to people about Him. It doesn't have to be a sermon. Just a, just a pungent word. You know, the writer of the Proverbs says, a word fitly spoken in the right time is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It stands out. A measured, thought-out phrase. Jesus will give you eternal life. Jesus is the answer. We exist at Trinity to do what? I mean, this is why we're here. We tell people about Him. Point to Him. He has the answers to all life's problems. And the last lesson that we can learn from this child is because of the testimony of this child, a man gained eternal life and became a worshiper of the Lord God. This little girl did something that lasted for all eternity. And we never know what one word about God will do. Now, this past couple of weeks, there was a little girl, some of you may or may not know this, that used to come to our VBS. And one of the workers wrote this neat little story about her. And I just wanted to read it to you because I don't know if you saw it or not on Faith Life. But here is the story. A little girl came to VBS. We know that Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
the worker writes, Every time I read this verse, I think of the precious children that I was blessed to have the opportunity to teach during the years that I was involved with the children's ministry. I still have the fondest of memories from that season of my life, and it saddens me to no longer be a part of it. It seems like yesterday when the sweetest little girl walked into my kindergarten, second grade vacation Bible school class. Her eyes were bright and full of life. She had a smile that went on and on. She appeared thrilled to be there. And after about 10 minutes, I think I may have been the most thrilled that she was in my class. She seemed to love interacting with me and with other children. It wasn't so much that she wanted to talk about her favorite toy or their family pet or about what special things she liked to do, which children often do. She actually wanted to tell us about Jesus and how he loved her and share with us the things that she knew about him. When I asked the children questions during the lesson, she was usually the first to raise her hand. When we walked from the music to crafts and crafts to games and so forth, she always volunteered to be the leader. I quickly noticed that wherever I was, there she would be too. So I had a shadow that week, but I surely didn't mind. Toward the end of VBS, I invited her to come to our Sunday school and Awana meetings, but she told me that she already went to another church. A few years later, I found out that she attended services regularly at another church through their bus ministry. Thank you, buddy. Including events like VBS, but she also went uh, to other churches' programs whenever she could. I did not see her until VBS came around another year, and I happened to be the teacher for her group again. She came in and sat down on the floor in front of a large oak tree that was painted on the wall where it was about to begin the lesson. And immediately she started telling me about how ill she had been that year. She said, I was in the hospital in a coma for a long time because I was really sick. Then she showed me the scar on her neck from the tube that was needed to get air into her lungs. What a moment that was. I remember telling her what a very strong little girl she must have been to go through all that and how glad I was that Jesus helped her get well. I said, you being here is a miracle. I asked if she would like to share her story with the rest of the class, which she was more than happy to do. Her story was a real-life lesson about the mighty power of God, for sure. He is a God of miracles. I believe that she came to at least two other VBS events at our church, but she was in someone else's class. As we passed by each other on our way to different stations, she would always make it a point to smile and come over and say hi to me. She was one of those children uh, one does not easily forget. She came to one of our Awana meetings a couple of years later, where once again I was the teacher for her age group in the TNT Girls. It was the only actual club meeting that she attended that year. But she came back a second time on the night uh, that we were having the awards program. She asked if it would be all right for her to go up on the stage to sing with the other girls and stay with them when the awards were passed out. She had never planned to come regularly to the meetings, so she had never bought a uniform nor had a book to work through that would have enabled her to earn an award, but she didn't mind about not receiving one. She just wanted to be a part of things. So I could tell that she was so excited to be included. At the end, we said a quick goodbye, and that was the last time... I saw her. It is evident to look back and see how each of the times she came through our church doors or those of another church 
were God-given opportunities to touch her life and for her to touch the lives of others. In remembering her, I have wondered if I should have said or done anything differently with those opportunities. If I would have had a glimpse of what was to come, surely I would have. For reasons only known, only God knows, He doesn't give us actual glimpses of the future. But He has outlined it very clearly in His Word to help us know how we are to live. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, Galatians 5.2. We can never know for sure what is to come, nor the impact that we may have on someone's life. But we have this instruction shared by the Apostle Paul, which has never ceased to be applicable since the time it was written. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. We don't have to look very hard at this world to see that the days of the past and present which we are now living in are evil. So we must do all that we can with every opportunity that God allows to come into our lives. Those verses took on a much deeper meaning for me one night as I watched the news and saw a picture of this same little girl who had touched my heart and the hearts of so many others. The media described her as a young female, age 13, and said that she was a cancer and a transplant survivor. They shared that she loved minions and pandas and color blue, loved to sing and loved to dance. Those who were given the opportunity to spend just a few moments of time with her also knew that she loved Jesus. One of her teachers from the church that she attended regularly told me that she had accepted Christ as her Savior and then brought her friends to church hoping that they would get saved too. The little girl's name was Nicole Lovell. You all remember Nicole? And today she rests in the loving arms of her Savior for her life was brought to an end by an evil in this world that is difficult to comprehend. And if you're familiar with the story, you know how evil it truly was. This person goes on to write, It is not within our power to look ahead and know what will happen, but we can choose to live in this way. As Charles Spurgeon said, the best and wisest thing in the world is to work as if it all depended upon you and then trust in God, knowing that it all depends upon Him. May we all make the most of the opportunities, for there is no guarantee that we will have tomorrow. Praying that there will be many this VBS. Let me just take this sobering moment to talk to you about the frailty of life. You know, things happen like that. Life is snuffed away in a moment. This is why it's so important when Almighty God is working in and on your heart to respond. Maybe you're here today, you've come through these doors, and you do not know the Lord God in a saving way. You, you must realize that your sin has separated you from God. But that God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin so that you would believe in Him and have eternal life. 
It's a gift. And all that is required of a recipient of a gift is to receive it. You have to believe. It's kind of like Naaman when he went to dip in the river. He said, I just can't believe this. It's too simple. Well, it costs God a great deal. But the reason the only thing you can do is believe is because you are not part of the salvation. Only God is. It's the difference between do and done. And Christianity is done. Every other religion is do. Do this. Pray. Go to church. Give. Do, 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 do. Christianity is done. Christ finished the work on the cross. Finished. And you have to believe to receive eternal life. So if you need to do that today, right where you're sitting, right now, you can bow your head and say, Oh, Jesus, I trust in you and I believe in you for eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins and give me eternal life. And according to the Word of God, He will do that. But the thing I want to talk to you about now is starting to look at people with the eyes of eternity. Had we known when we were running VBS, children's ministry or so forth, that this little girl would have been viciously murdered, I think we would have gotten to have known her home life a little more. We would have tried to find out if she had a father in the home. We would have tried to get to know her mother. We would have tried to minister. We would have tried to do something. But you see, that's hindsight. And as one man said, foresight is a whole lot better than hindsight. And that's why we have reminders like this. When we look into the eyes of people, we are looking into the eyes of eternal souls that we do not know what tomorrow brings for them. So take advantage of the time. Take advantage of the time. Share God's Word, His love, His truth with them. You will never be sorry. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word and for the challenge that it is to our life. Thank You for the story of this little girl who turned the Syrian army and the most powerful military leader into a follower of You. Thank You for Jesus this morning, for what He has done for us and what He's doing in our life. Thank You for what He's going to do in our church this week as we minister to these kids. And, oh, Father, I pray You will open their heart. Many will learn, hear, and come to Jesus because of the words and the things that are done this week. Empower our workers. Give them passion and energy. And I pray that you'll prepare the hearts of us and the children that you bring to our life. And we ask your blessings on our week and our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.